I'm Jaden Sterling, and welcome to my podcast, Intuitive Investing. As an entrepreneur and someone who has taught people how to invest for 34 years, I have a good sense of what it takes to thrive as an investor. Each week on my show, I provide tools and tips, as well as interview world-class investors on their strategies. When your gut and research match, your ability to live a life of financial freedom is easy. Welcome to Intuitive Investing, and let's get started. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Jaden Sterling, and today I want to talk about, this week on the podcast, I want to talk about why I think mutual funds are a scam. I had someone reach out to me recently and he said, did, did I hear you correctly? Did you actually say mutual funds are a scam? And I replied back, well, let's let's take a look at the mutual funds and how they're set up. And when we recognize that Mutual funds have a high management cost to them that they typically, uh, most of them underperform the market averages. Uh, some um, are on par with the market averages over time. And that there's such a there's such a low investment from the fund managers into their own funds. And, you know, I've wondered about that. And mutual fund managers aren't stupid, right? They know that they're going to, and they've said Morningstar, which is the number one rating agency for mutual funds, asked the fund managers, hey, why is it that you're not investing in your own fund? And the reply was, because we can get better returns elsewhere. So here's also something to consider if you're thinking about investing in a mutual fund, if you're already invested in a mutual fund, many of these funds have an internal capital gain, meaning a lot of these managers have been managing these funds for a very long time. And, you know, they could own Apple uh, four, five, six, 10 years ago if they bought Apple shares. When there is a liquidation, and when do people want to liquidate their funds? When fear's at the highest, right? People, if the market's declining, people can panic a little bit and want to bail on their mutual fund. By prospectus, mutual funds don't carry any cash balances. Like it's less than 1%. So in order to get funds to pay out to shareholders, they have to liquidate stocks within the portfolio. Now, if you're a new investor into a mutual fund, you could very well be hit with a capital gains tax and not even experience the growth. So a lot of funds have these internal buildups of capital gains, and the minute they start liquidating shares and selling their positions, they have to fully report that, and they are taxable. So... As an investor, you could be stuck with a huge capital gains tax bill, again, without even experiencing the growth of your own money within that type of pooled investment. And when I say pooled, I mean, as you know, yes, there are hundreds of stocks within a mutual fund, but you're also a fractional owner of that mutual fund with many hundreds, thousands, maybe potentially hundreds of thousands of people. So a mutual fund does 
everything to take you out of control of your money. And that's the thing that is most irritating to me about mutual funds and why I think they are a scam because they're, if you're an investor, there's a huge likelihood to tell me in the notes in the chat if, in this, um, in this particular recording, if you own shares of a mutual fund, if at some point you've bought shares of a mutual fund, or if a broker or banker has absolutely wanted you to buy shares of a mutual fund, I'll bet there will be a hundred percent resounding. Yes. That's been your experience. I want to share something with you that I thought was fascinating, this article. Uh, here it is. Why, why some fund managers don't invest in their own funds. If you're an investor who owns a single share in a mutual fund, here's a nasty little shocker. You might have even more money on the line than your own fund manager. Amazingly, many portfolio managers don't invest in the funds they're running. According to Chicago-based Mutual Fund Morningstar, 45% of stock funds and 66% of bond funds that are considered core basic building blocks of a portfolio have a grand total of zero manager investment. Zero. Zip. Nothing. For a, share, for a fund shareholder, it's like finding out the chef at your favorite restaurant doesn't eat his or her own cooking. It's very troubling, says Laura Lutton of Morningstar. She found out that mutual funds are the key retirement savings vehicle for most Americans, and managers get paid a lot of money to deliver returns for shareholders. When they don't invest alongside you, that's disappointing. It is. She's absolutely right. And they don't invest alongside you. They want you to invest your money while they invest in other things. Among those, uh, let's see. I mean, you can read, I'll put a link to this article in the show notes, but just go ahead and read it for yourself. There's a few firms that do actually, American Funds, that they score well for eating their own cooking, American funds, uh, Royce and Associates. It aligns us with shareholders. Meanwhile, on the naughty list of fund families that Morningstar finds disappointing, BlackRock, where two-thirds of its fund managers have zero management ownership. <laughs> zero. And then you go to PIMCO. PIMCO is... It, their bond fund is headed up by a guy named uh, Bill Gross. And he's the one that you'll see on CNBC all the time talks about, you know, uh, the bond markets and what's going on. And he, uh, manager investment is fund is a relatively slim 97,000. These guys make millions of dollars a year. They go on to say the management ownership issue isn't without controversy, though. Even industry Boy Scouts like Vanguard, well known for its low cost shareholder first corporate ethos, are ferocious in fighting back against Morningstar on this issue, since there's an array of possible reasons why a manager might invest elsewhere. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. Oh, my goodness. So anyway, just, just go through this thing, you know. And here's reasons for non-ownership that are often cited, that managers already face substantial career risk in their funds since they underperform their benchmark, their sense if they underperform 
their benchmark, they're likely they'll likely lose their jobs. Yeah, God forbid that uh, they also invest in their fund. That they've sometimes invested in separately managed accounts with different options than the retail public. <laughs> exactly, they're telling you right there. They've got access to investment structures that you'll never even know about. Um, wait, it gets better. That some managers steer multiple funds at the same time, making million-dollar investments in all of them impractical and potentially overlapping. You better believe it. They all own the same stocks. You'll have the, the lion's share of mutual fund managers buy the same stuff because, as it says here, if they underperform their benchmarks, they'll lose their jobs. They all know this. So their role is to is their role and what they get paid to do is to mirror the returns of their counterparts. It's like they they keep their job if they're in line with you know what their buddy is doing over at the other bond fund or the other equity fund. So basically they'll buy the same stuff they'll pretty much do the same thing. None of them really stick their neck out. Very few there is one Richie Friedman over at uh, Smith Barney. He managed a couple of mutual funds. I used to work with him in Southern California. He was in New York. I was in Southern Cal. And I'd fly back and forth to New York, meet with Richie. And he'd say, all right, Jaden, this is what's going on. This is what this is what you need to tell your clients. And he'd sit me down and, and we'd have this, this big old conversation around the markets. And he was really, really a great guy. And he'd said, only buy my funds if you want to either either grossly underperform the markets or hugely outperform. There was just no middle of the road with him because he was swinging for the fences all the time. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that candor because I knew that he was someone that was going to get me phenomenal returns when what he did went right. So, you know, I think if you're wanting to invest in mutual funds, you consider who the fund manager is, what their philosophy is. Um, ask about the internal capital gains buildup before you invest. You know, ask what's the what is the um, what's the exact term? What is the non? Um, it'll come to me. I'll I'll I'll, I'll think. What what's the internal buildup of capital gains within the portfolio? Right. What's what are the what's the amount or the percent where there's a potential for me to pay a capital gain tax before I even experience it before I even get that money for it so that's one thing to ask for ask about the internal management fees that aren't you know that aren't part of the ones that they uh, disclose. There are many internal management fees that are not disclosed to fund holders. So you'll need to know what the total management fee is that's disclosed and non-disclosed. Ask about that. Ask if you're able to transfer within the family of funds. Let's say you have the Vanguard balanced uh, fixed income fund. Uh, anywhere where you hear balanced, by the way, that means there's bonds in the portfolio and in a rising interest rate environment, bonds go down. So there's an what's called an inverse relationship with interest rates and values. As interest rates go up, the value of any fixed income asset goes down, right? Because it's just not worth as much, meaning it doesn't pay as much, um, so therefore not worth as much. So 
find out about these things, like what's going on. So if you have uh, a fixed income or balanced uh, fund, can you switch within the family of funds at no charge? And typically you can. Many have a fee structure of A, B, C, D. Um, a would be typically a front end load. B would be a back end. They're, they say there's no load funds, but there's never no load funds. There's always loads and fees attached to these funds. So get the straight scoop when you're considering mutual funds. It's a big deal. Many people put their, their absolute life savings, net worth, everything they've got into these mutual funds, and they are a disaster waiting to happen. Also, consider rule 72. That's right, rule and the number 72. What that means is it typically, you'll typically find out by using this how long it will take you to double your money. So if you're invested in a mutual fund that's, let's pay, say, paying 10% a year annualized, then it would take you, so you take your rate of return, divide that by 72, that's the number of years to double your investment. So if you're earning 10%, it's going to take you a little over seven years to double your money. For some of you, that might be perfectly fine. You might say, hey, I've got lots of time. I'm not worried about that. You know, I'm good with that. But for others, you know, maybe you're approaching your mid fifties and you're, you're really, you got your retirement plan in, in range and you're thinking, wow, I'm not quite where I need to be. Then maybe a higher return would be worth it for you. Um, I think the, in order to get a higher return than, uh, then what mutual funds are paying you, you've got to go with individual stocks, individual stocks. Um, you know, many of you know my story. I worked on, I worked on Wall Street during the decade of the 90s. I was in my 20s. I actually got hired uh, at 20 years old for to be a financial advisor. And I was trained by Merrill Lynch and Citigroup. So I had some of the best training out there. So I worked with high net worth individuals. Some of these individuals were worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, one in particular was the uh, heir to the General Motors fortune. And a uh, funny story or interesting story, he was adopted. So he didn't, he wasn't even born into the family. He was adopted and inherited. He and his twin brother both adopted, inherited a lot of money. Uh, and I worked with them on their portfolios. So um, I had a chance to work with some very affluent, successful people. And each one of my clients, I asked the same thing. I would always ask, hey, how did you get this money? What did you do? And it was fascinating. I basically, the response was basically one of three different ways that they achieved that level of income. One, they owned a business. Many of my clients were business owners, very astute business people, um, taught me some amazing uh, skills, basically people skills, um, how to look people in the eye, how to shake hands properly, like just really important things to learn as a business person. Um, and then the, so uh, business owners, um, also inheritance, many of my clients inherited their wealth. And I think we're going to see more and more generational wealth being passed down during this time. Um, we're starting to see, I guess, maybe because I'm at that age where it's like, hmm, 
you know, a lot of people, uh, parents um, in, in their 70s, um, just starting to see a lot of people uh, with faltering health or just around us in our neighborhood even. So that's an interesting, interesting phenomenon. Um, so inheritance is another way. A uh, third way is actually winning the lottery. I had a few clients who won the lottery, quite interesting people, and they were certainly smart enough and astute enough to invest it. But here's the thing. This is what fascinated me with, with my really wealthy clients. Those were people who had a handful of investments, stocks, like six to 10 companies, big names at the time, all, you know, uh, John Deere, General Electric, IBM, you know, I mean, this is back in the 90s, huge companies that were, you know, they just bought and held on. And not only did they hold it, but they kept adding to it. Like every month, they kept buying more shares of these companies. And I thought, you know, this is vastly different than what the brokerage firms are telling me. The brokerage firms are telling me, hey, when you get your clients' money in, their portfolio in, you've got to sell these stocks and buy all this package stuff, mutual funds and unit investment trusts and bond funds and CDs and all this stuff. And I listened to them in the beginning. But then I started to notice the difference in performance of my clients who came in with their individual stock portfolios and did nothing. They just kept their stocks in their accounts versus my quote unquote diversified clients. And funny enough, the ones who outperformed were the clients who had the individual stocks. They got a far better performance out of their money than the ones in the package products. So I actually started investing like my clients. I started buying individual stocks. And during the decade of the 90s, I bought one company in particular. And I thought I'd share this story because I was recently interviewed um, by Sean Tepper over at Ticker on his podcast. And he says, you know, your story is amazing. I use it as a case study. So I thought, wow, okay, if it's that good, I should share it with our audience, right? So during the 90s, I, I was hired by Smith Barney, whose parent company was Travelers. And um, when, I, when they hired me from Merrill Lynch, they said, you know, we're, we'll give you a bunch of cash and money up front and all this stuff. And I said, I don't need the money. Just give me stock. So they agreed. They gave me, I think it was like $77,000. And this is, this is like 1994 at that time. Um, 1994, 77,000 US dollars of Travelers Corporation. Well, then I started in, uh, investing through their stock purchase program through Travelers. So Travelers was, was uh, Smith Barney's parent company. And I got to buy more shares every single month at a discount. So I just maxed out. Like I totally put as much money as I could as they would allow me to uh, for the year and made sure that I maxed out. And then they, they actually matched those funds as well up to a certain point, like 6% or something. So not only... Was, did I start out with a bunch of shares of it? I can't remember the price of the stock, but maybe it, let's say I started out with 2000 shares of it. And then every month I kept buying the stock and I never touched it. I just let it grow. 
And by the time I was 30 years old or 30, I was just turning 31, the stock reached a million dollars. So I had a million dollars in this account, which is our stock purchase program. And I thought, you know what? I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't like working for corporate America. I don't like doing what I'm told to do because it didn't feel right to me. I knew there was more for me. I felt like I was being held back, if you know what I mean. Like if you ever felt, you know, what you were doing was holding you back, that's exactly how I felt. So I decided to um, I decided to fly to New York to meet with my boss. It was January of 2000. <clears throat> and I said to him, look, you know, I just want you to give you know, uh, to give you notice that um, I'll be leaving the business this year. And he thought I was, like pull it a quick one, like, you know, wanting more money. And he even said to me, he said, okay, what is it going to take? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, what is it going to take for us to keep you? Because at the end of my career, I was, I was the, um, um, the regional vice president of asset management for, for uh, Smith Barney. <clears throat> and at that point, Citigroup had taken us over. So Travelers was no longer a parent company. It was acquired by Citigroup. So I was working for Citigroup uh, through the Smith Barney division. And uh, I took our territory from 100 million in sales in 1998 to over 300 million in sales by the year 2000. So in two years, we did a ton of business, phenomenal. And they didn't want to see me go. And I was, you know, as I, I kind of anticipated that it would be difficult to, to leave the business. So I thought about it. I thought about it on the airplane ride from Southern California all the way over to New York. And I thought, you know, what if, what if he says to me, um, give me a number, like, tell me. And I, I asked myself, well, what would it take? Would it, what would it take for me to stay in a job that I felt like I was being held back? And I asked myself on that plane ride, would it take a million dollars a year income? Like if he said to me, hey, you know, we'll give you a million dollars a year, would you stay? Um, how would I feel about that? And, and what came to me very clearly was it's not about the money. It's not about the money. It never was about the money for me. For me, it was about the education to learn about money because I knew, some of you know my story, at 14, I had an epiphany. And if you've ever had an epiphany, you know it's a very spiritual, deep experience. And it, to me, it was like time stood still and the universe spoke to my heart, like source, creator, God, whatever you want to call it, just went boom, right here. And I knew I knew I'd be working with people with their money issues. Uh, I knew that I would be teaching from personal experience, not a book I read or a course that I took. And I knew I'd be traveling the world, sharing and speaking. So I love this platform, this podcasting plat plat platform that allows me to do that, to reach many, many listeners around the world. So I've known from the very beginning, my mission, my purpose, the reason I'm here is to assist people with money. And I was super clear from the very beginning that it's to help people become empowered by it, not enslaved by money. Because there are way too many people out there where money's running their life. And it's a shame. And it doesn't have to be that way. So 
if you connect the dots in my life, it's interesting. It's like the universe said, okay, here's your mission at 14. We're going to tell you what you're here to do. And I have lived my chart to a T, like went to school, studied finance in Washington, DC, went to American University, uh, went into the financial services business to learn about money. I figured, hey, I, I should go where money lives. That's on Wall Street, right? So I went to Went there for 11 years, the whole decade of my 20s um, was working for corporate in these big jobs, in those two big uh, roles. And then from there, when I got out of the business, I built, I thought, let me put my business acumen to a test because I love like personal development. Many of you know that I teach course, I've taught many courses on personal development and what it takes to be an achiever. Heck, it's what I wrote my book about, The Alchemy of True Success. So, so I took that, my, I was basically saying to myself, let's see what I can do with this, with this education that I got. And I went uh, into established my own company and started developing affordable housing projects in a city where there were no quality affordable housing. So I moved from like California to Florida, St. Petersburg, Florida, and started buying up properties you know, old apartment buildings that needed renovated. Um, and pretty soon, you know, you buy one or two buildings, the cash flow is like gone. <laughs> you know, they want, they want like 30% down on a commercial acquisition. So that money went pretty quick. So I had to get creative. And through my creative process, I met the head of the housing department with the city of St. Petersburg. Like the universe is so great. It just matched us up perfectly at the right time. And through that connection, ended up buying and selling, um, well, buying, rehabilitating, uh, converting buildings from regular housing to affordable and then selling those and just I just kept upgrading and upgrading. So I would I would flip a four unit building for an eight unit building and then eight units for 16 and then 16 for 32. And it just went on and on and on. And it was incredible. In seven years, I built a net worth, a, a wealth of twelve and a half million dollars through real estate uh, mergers and acquisitions and commercial real estate. Um, phenomenal education. So I got to, you know, kind of cut my teeth on what I knew in business, how to create it. And then I, then my brother got sick, my twin brother. Well, I'm just telling you my whole life story here, aren't I? <laughs> um, but I want my story out there because it's significant. It's important. And it might just help you keep moving forward. It might just help inspire you to stay on course of what you're doing, even if it you know, even if you're just going through this dark night of the soul kind of thing where you're like, man, I, what do I do? Where do I turn? I've always believed in this internal guidance system that we all have. I've always believed it and I've always followed it. And it wasn't until my twin brother got sick with cancer, diagnosed stage four cancer. And we were talking one day and he's like, man, I just feel like I didn't, he feels like he didn't live his purpose. And and then it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, whoa, I know my purpose. And yet, you know, I've sequestered myself in this office, building the, you know, acquiring and building. And I'm not doing what I'm here to do. I'm not working with people. Yeah, I was helping people through keeping rents low and, you know, and um, providing this really great, great affordable housing. But 
I wasn't aligned with the purpose that the universe showed me at 14, which was go out, travel the world and speak your truth about money so people can be empowered by it, not enslaved by it. So I promised my brother, I said, look, bro, I know my purpose and I'm going to go out and I'm going to live my purpose for both of us. So I... I did that. I ended up selling every single apartment building I had. I got, I mean, some I was underwater, like back in 08, no, uh, 07, 08, when the market crashed down there in the States. Um, you know, many I just barely got out with the, by the skin of my teeth. Um, some I just had to give the keys back to the bank and say, have at it. It's all yours. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so it was interesting. I learned a huge amount around um, transacting big, big deals, like million dollar plus deals. And so I felt like that gave me the background to now teach and do what I do. So fast forward to today, where you're, you're probably found us because maybe you've heard of our software, Sterling Stock Picker. And the software is built on a course that I created called Stocks for Freedom. And it was six years ago where one of my amazing students said, you know what? I love this course. Could you create software around it? <laughs> and I was like, Whew, I don't know. Like, I'm not a software developer. I'm an investor. That's my 35-year high-level expertise uh, business is investing, finding an asset, creating something great with it and turning around, making money with it. That's what I do. That's who I am. Um, so I didn't know about the software approach. And then my amazing partners uh, connected in with me one day and said, hey, we've got time. You know, do you got anything you're working on? And I said, well, actually, I do. I do have something really compelling right now that I think um, you might have an interest in. And they took my vision um, from my head and then created the software that you now see on the screen. It was just phenomenal what they've done. I'm very fortunate to have two amazing partners who created this software. And I wanted to show you, this is the page here, part of our software where I've made the most money with, it's called Stock Rockets. Um, this shows companies that have a 50% and above quarterly revenue growth our North Star ranking of five, this is the highest, most coveted North Star ranking we offer for stocks, is five, and they have to be industry top performers. So you'll never see, you know, 100 or 50 or 10 or 20 stocks on this page. What you see is what you get. And today there's three. There's three amazing, or excuse me, four amazing companies on this list. And like, here's one, for example, Symbotic Inc., a financial services shell company. The stock is uh, currently at $36 a share. Um, let me hold the cursor over there so you can see. Uh, it's right around $36 a share, but everything is looking so good on this chart. Like you've got green above red, EMA above the SMA. It's exactly what you want to see as an investor. Um, you've got the SMA 50 below the stock price. And most importantly, the SMA 200 way below the stock price. So now the stock has support. So 
what what I do is I go out and buy shares of companies, and then I connect in and buy the options that, or I sell the covered calls against my holding. So I've got, I'm experiencing growth and profit in two ways. One, stock price going up because the stock looks amazing. The charts, everything looks really solid with it. But two, the income that comes in from selling that covered call goes directly into my account and the stock may be called away, but I always buy the calls or out, excuse me, I always sell the calls at a higher price than the stock is. So I'll always profit from that covered call strategy. So there's just, I just wanted to show you, give you an example of how you can make money with our software. As you go to the Stock Rockets page, you find an amazing company, you, you buy shares of it. And uh, and then we give you all the financial. Look at that. Their their earnings are actually up 177 percent quarterly. It's not um, like that's phenomenal. So this is a company that's experiencing a lot of growth. Um, it just looks really really solid uh, in terms of their earnings continuing to rise. Um, so a company like this, you can feel comfortable buying shares of. We give you all the look, all the financial information, all the valuation measures. Um, we show you here, and um, and then of course the news at the bottom for companies. So you just scroll down to the bottom if you're wondering, you know what um, what's going on with the stock. So that just gives you one idea of. Uh, let me go back to the home screen. Uh, every week I'm in here in a live stream on Mondays, uh, live streaming, and this shows you when the next stream starts. So today's Monday, I just did the live stream. So that's why it's showing um, zero days. Uh, but all you do is just click play and you can hear me talk about, I think today I talked about Netflix and uh, selling covered calls on Netflix. Um, but let's say you come to our page, you're like, all right, I just want, I've got cash to invest. I want to find a five-star stock that's rocking it. What do I do? You just come right here to the magic stock selector, click the button and voila, up pops an amazing company. What company is this? Hyperfine Inc. Low risk. Look at this, $1.48 a share. It's incredible. So reasonably priced, $1.48. You can pick up a thousand shares for $1,500. Like that's nothing, right? Um, you can do this. And yeah, just check out how simple was that. You buy shares of the stock, hold it, five stars. That means they're doing everything right. It's the highest, most coveted um, North Star ranking we have on companies. So feel free, check us out, sterlingstockpicker.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. I hope you found it informative, enjoyable. I hope you were inspired by my story. I don't often share my story, but I think it's important. We all have a story and each story uh, is meaningful. So I'd love to hear yours too. Reach out to us. You can find me at my initials, JS at sterlingstockpicker.com. So please visit our site, sterlingstockpicker.com picker.com. Check us out. 
we're offering a free version of our software for a limited time. This is going to go away shortly, but after that, it's only $29 a month. So our goal is to keep it super affordable for you to find amazing winning stocks. We've won awards. We're doing everything right. We hope that you check us out and we're grateful for you listening in. Thanks again. Tune in to next week for another amazing episode of this Intuitive Investing Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Jaden Sterling. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Intuitive Investing. If you enjoyed this week's episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. For other helpful resources, please visit sterlingstockpicker.com. That's S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G stockpicker.com to access free intuitive investing training.